I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Brittany Driscoll. She's the co-founder and chief executive officer of Squeeze, where they're building a better massage experience. Squeeze is headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee, with its flagship location in Studio City, California, and they're now franchising nationwide. Brittany also leads The Feel Good Company, a service agency supporting a collective of wellness brands dedicated to bettering the mind, body, and soul for good. And she serves as chairwoman of the board for OK Humans, a talk therapy concept and counseling experience focused on emotional and mental wellness. Prior to Squeeze, Brittany spent four years at Dry Bar, the original blow-dry bar and world's largest blow-dry franchise. As vice president of marketing, she helped grow the company's revenue from $30 million to more than $100 million in revenue. While at the company, she onboarded over 20 new operating partners, opened more than 50 new dry bar shops, and launched the Dry Bar product line internationally, as well as in Sephora, Ulta, Nordstrom, and Bloomingdale's. On the show today, we talk about her founding story, and her personal experience that we'll get into right after we get the interview started, and uh, how she approaches launching and starting a business as well as the scale-up effort. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Brittany Driscoll. 
Brittany, welcome to the show. Hi, Alan. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, it's going to be a good conversation today. And I can't wait to hear about all your entrepreneurial ventures and insights and experience. And I am torn about starting this way, but like in this notion of like, Uh, survival as an entrepreneur, you've also had to survive cancer. And I'm curious, like, what was that like to have come out on the other side, so to speak? Yes. Um, Well, it is certainly one of those life-defining experiences, that's for sure. I think that being on the other side of a cancer diagnosis and having survived probably sounds super cliche, but there's just an overwhelming amount of gratitude that I have every day. You know, I think that all of us should have this perspective that every single day we're given is a gift and we all have the opportunity to make each other better. And we're not promised tomorrow, but certainly when, you know, you're kind of given that, uh, that diagnosis and you hear the the chance that that may actually be a reality. I certainly think that you just show up a little differently. That's for sure. And I think, you know, the other thing that it's done for me is I think it's given, I've always been a very bold person. I've always kind of gone for what I've wanted and chased dreams and always believed in kind of something bigger than myself and and whatnot. But I think that it has given a different level of freedom and permission to truly live how I want to live, you know? And I think that there is there is a real peace in that. And I, you know, I wish that more, more people, I don't know if you're familiar with the Tim McGraw song, live like you were dying. Yes. I was going (laughs) to mention that. Yes. It's a great song. Yeah. I do think that there is something to that. There really is. I'm so glad that you did make it on the other side. And I hear, you hear these stories uh, like from people like yourself that have had this type of experience and it is, it's hard for those that haven't to really fully grasp it, I think. And that song probably, probably is the like was the thing that came to my mind as well because it is like you just want to live a little bit more than you maybe have allowed yourself to do before. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully most people who are listening don't ever have to go through that experience and can just take the little nugget of you know, live bolder, live how you want, go for what you, you know, you really, what your heart desires because we're, uh, we're not promised tomorrow. Well, let's talk about your career and your path and, uh, you know, the path, if you will, to founding Squeeze, your latest venture. Where'd you get your start and how'd you end up on this entrepreneurial path? The entrepreneurial path was a real surprise, I will say. I mean, you're you're talking to the person who who never really had an example of entrepreneurialism in her life. My dad was a banker. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. You know, I kind of, again, did always have that that real gumption to just go after things and try. I guess I was pretty fearless. And I, I always thought, well, you might as well just try. And so there's a lot of examples of that in my younger life. But in my professional career, I I started in experiential marketing. I majored in communications in college, which I always joke is the major you choose when you don't know what you want to do. You just know you don't want to do more math. <laughs> so, and I actually thought I would go into broadcast journalism or or something. I really enjoy writing and storytelling, but I took an internship my junior year of college at an experiential marketing agency, and I just fell in love with the reality that brands 
can make great experiences for people and true connections. And I loved the people that I worked with and idea generating. And so I just fell into marketing. And I think it, you know, I think it's a good dovetail of a lot of my passions. I love people. I love uh, psychology and really understanding behavior and why thing, why people do the things they do and choose the things they choose. And, and I also love great experiences and making people feel something. And so it just kind of all fell into place. Honestly, I didn't, again, know that I was going to go down that path, but I ultimately, after the experiential marketing firm, I bounced around to several different agencies and I got experience in email segmentation and, you know, HTML and data segmentation and, um, the importance of customization and really understanding again, you know, the motivations, what people tell you, and then being able to deliver a message and or an experience aligns with those things all the way through to big brand experiences. I worked with Barbie and Hot Wheels for several years of my career and got to live in that imagination land, but probably the biggest, coolest campaign that I know played such a role in where I am today was uh, Hot Wheels for Real. And most people don't know that the toys are actually designed to scale. So we built them for real. And we worked with the world's best race car drivers, everyone from Mario Andretti to Danica Patrick to all the stunt car drivers that do Fast and Furious and you know all the commercials that you see. And we built uh, record-breaking stunts, uh, life-size experiences and different athletic events. We subverted different athletic events. So we built a hundred foot door in the middle of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and we sent an 800 horsepower truck down it and broke the world record for the longest jump for a four-wheeled vehicle. The next year we built an actual double loop in downtown LA um, at the X Games and sent two cars through it uh, and built a whole content series online with really, you know, the intention of making Hot Wheels relevant again, to, to boys that had kind of outgrown the toys, but weren't yet dads. And so, and really, you know, what that experience taught me was Mattel is a toy company. They, they make toys <laughs> and to all of a sudden create these experiences and put their name on something that truly was death defying. People's lives were on the line. I sat at all the insurance meetings where we talked about life insurance policies for, you know, these guys that were willing to go out on the line for this brand. And, and, you know, it all went off without a hitch, thankfully. And it was because we had this big grand vision and we had all the right people in place to make it happen. You know, we were a hundred percent committed to it and we believed in it. You know, we believed in what we were doing and how cool it would be and the way that it would impact the brand and people. And, and so I, I know it's funny how you can look back and kind of connect the dots. I know that so much of my experience working on the agency side led to my career now or my, you know, entrepreneurial journey, because you've got to think really boldly to stand out and you also have to be super committed to making it happen. And so I just learned so much about teamwork and vision. And so after my experience at Hot Wheels, I went to go work for Drybar because I had fallen in love with the brand and the experience It personally resonated with me as much as I love Hot Wheels and living in the, you know, the stunt world uh, for a while. It was so fun. I also really loved what Drybar was selling, which for me as a consumer was confidence ultimately. And we always used to sell internally or say internally that we weren't selling blowouts, we were selling happiness and confidence. And, and I loved that. And so I got a chance to go in-house and work at Drybar and worked there for four years and ran marketing for them from 2013 to 2017 and helped take the company from 30 million to over a hundred million. It was like the rocket ship years. We opened over 60 doors at that time. 
we launched the product line into all the prestige retailers that it exists today, including international expansion. So, I mean, my career has been awesome. I've done some really amazing things and I feel very grateful for it. And, you know, ultimately think that it, it did really lead and dovetail nicely into into where I'm at today. Yeah. Well, and, and you've got Squeeze, uh, which we're going to talk quite a bit more about, but you've also got kind of an agency, the Feel Good Company, and a, a wellness company, OK Humans, I believe. So you've got kind of a little portfolio, if you will, of things going on. You must be extremely busy these days. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, to circle back to the top of this call, it's kind of like, why not, you know, right. go, go for it <laughs> on every level. Yeah. The Feel Good Company is really just this idea of with both Drybar and Squeeze, you know, I think we've we've kind of honed in on the core requirements of building a disruptive retail experience, everything from architecture to branding to technology and culture. The people side is so, so, so important. So with those things, what we've done is really set out to help other entrepreneurs build great businesses, you know, be the expert in your industry and your vertical, if you will, and lead and drive the company. But we can kind of supply you on the back end with uh, the knowledge and insights into into building a brick and mortar concept and really making it successful. So I sit on the board of OK Humans, which is a talk therapy concept led by uh, the CEO and and co-founder. Uh, she's also a licensed marriage and family therapist, so obviously very well versed in the actual practice and service of what we're selling. Her name is Christy Desai, and uh, yeah, the whole the whole concept of that is really to make seeking mental health help, you know, more accessible, more affordable. We have a brick and mortar concept that's right next to a pizza place and a cupcake shop on San Vicente in Los Angeles and really trying to, again, disrupt the idea that it needs to be behind closed doors in a medical office building and you need to have shame around going to get help. That's not the case. We all need it. So that's the intention behind that. And um, and that really did come from, from Squeeze. So for those who don't know, you know, Squeeze is a new massage concept. And it was really the brainchild of the founders of Drybar. So I partnered with them to launch this this concept. When we were at Drybar, I can attest, you know, Michael in particular, who's Ali Webb's brother and kind of the the guy behind the scenes making a lot of the magic at Drybar happen. The bald guy behind the scenes, I should say, which is always the running joke. He was an avid massage goer and just felt like everything about the experience was really unrelaxing and frustrating. You know, everything from having to call individual locations to try and remember what therapist you liked to always making sure they remembered your preferences. And then one of the most frustrating experiences was, you know, his benefits from being a member at one place wouldn't transfer to the other, or they didn't have his account information right. And so after this massage, he's waiting in a checkout line and the whole experience is like takes all of the relaxation that he just got away. And so what Squeeze really does is solve for all those things. You know, our tagline is a way better massage experience. And just like at Drybar, we didn't invent blowouts. There's not much that we've changed about the massage itself. We hire licensed massage therapists who know exactly what they're doing, but everything about the experience, we just tried to make much better. So 
We have built out a proprietary end-to-end technology platform whereby you can either go online to squeezemassage.com or you can download our app uh, in the iPhone store. And you do everything from book an appointment through to setting all your personalized preferences, everything from areas of the body you want focused on, what you want avoided, if you want more or less pressure. It's all saved to your profile. The therapist reviews it prior to you walking in the door. So they have confidence walking into a session, knowing exactly what your expectation is. You have that peace of mind that you've already told them. You don't have to worry about, you know, conversing and you can just truly kind of come in with that relaxed state of mind. And then we have additional personalization aspects to the experience. So we have an aromatherapy station where you can actually smell different scents and decide what you will want apply during your service. We have iPhone chargers, or well, I should say all, all phone chargers in our guest suites, which is what we call our rooms. We have hooks to hang a jacket. We have mints and hair ties. And then when you get on the table and you know, you're ready for the therapist to come back in and start your massage, we actually have a ready button that you can just easily push. It turns on a light outside the door. The therapist knows to re-enter. So, you know, there's not that awkward knock and or sitting and waiting forever. And, you know, it's your time. It's valuable. You deserve to have your massage start when you want it to. And and then when you're done, you, you literally walk out. You can rate, tip, and review on the app at your leisure, just like Uber and Postmates. So you're not having to stand in line. You're not being asked about awkward tipping. Um, you know, it's all, it's all extremely seamless. We like to say, guess walk in and float out. So yeah, so that's the idea of squeeze. And again, you know, kind of after building dry bar and squeeze, we really felt like there was an opportunity to disrupt many different industries. And so we'll see where that, that ends up going. But, uh, squeeze is certainly the main focus, right? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST now oh that makes sense and it it does sound like i mean you've kind of attacked all those little awkward points throughout the experience having gone to a number of massages myself like that awkward knock thing is it 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 does feel like you should just be able to flip a sign somehow (laughs) truly well and it's great for the massage therapist too you know i mean they've had many an awkward moment in their career so they're very grateful for it as well it's a it's a win-win feature across the board and, and, you know, I will say that that is the other insight that, that got me so excited about launching Squeeze was the opportunity to create a employee-centric 
business. I really, you know, the more research, so Michael had this idea. They didn't have the bandwidth to get it off the ground, obviously focusing on dry bar. I was itching for a new challenge. So they kindly gave me the opportunity to run with it. And before I took the actual leap and said, yes, I did a lot of research and, you know, diligence on this space and quickly learned that demand for massage is really endless. But, you know, in order to to serve that demand, you need to have great people. And there just weren't a lot of companies out there that I felt like we're hitting the mark on the people side. All I like to say, we're not in the service industry. We're in the people industry. All we're doing is selling people's time. So for us at Squeeze, so much of our focus is making this a great place to work, you know, valuing and seeing people for who they are at a human level before their contributions to the company. So we've done a lot to try and make this a really wonderful experience on the employee side, just as much as, you know, the customer experience feels good as well. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, and your experience at Drybar going from 30 million to 100 million, I mean, that has to be great prep for scaling another business. I'm curious, what did you learn in that scale up and that, that might be applicable or you're taking with you into Squeeze? Yeah, there's so many learnings that we had at Drybar that we've applied to Squeeze and, you know, on both sides, things that we felt like worked really well and things that we wish we had done completely differently from the outset. I will say, I think more of the uh, technology forward approach at Squeeze is something that we wished we could have done differently at Drybar. Drybar still has an app, but there's a lot of things and setting up the foundation of a company that you can do much e- much more you know, easily when you're, when you're doing it from scratch. So I would say that we are a very you know, innovative technology forward experience across all of our operational systems at Squeeze. And that was a big learning. You know, the other thing, probably taking a further a step, you know, back a little bit further, Drybar was Allie's idea. Allie was a stylist, a naturally curly haired girl, always in search for a perfect blowout, wanted to create this great experience, thought she would open one location on San Vicente and be able to pick up her kids from school. And that would be her nice little life. She would manage that one location. And so Drybar clearly took off and the thought of what it ultimately is today was not at all in the founders minds you know it was just like wow we've got to we've got to run with this whereas at squeeze you know we set out to build a 3 to 500 unit operation and so we really were mindful with every single decision in building the foundation of the company that we wanted you know shop number 485 to work as seamlessly and as smoothly as shop number one. And so with the knowledge that we had from Drybar, and not to say that we're going to have you know, learnings and things that we change along the way, but we were really able to set the foundation just much better. And also the the decision that we made to scale squeeze was to go the franchising route. So Drybar was primarily corporate owned in the beginning. And um, you know, ultimately we learned over time that people who put their own skin in the game, their own sweat and blood into a business care more about their business. You know, they operate better. They're more connected to their team. They're hyper involved in their community. They really love and care about creating a great experience and they want to show up every day. So that's ultimately why we decided to go the franchising route uh, with Squeeze. And we launched, I guess to also backtrack, we launched the first location in March of 2019 in Studio City. We were open for 11 months before the world had different plans for us, which that in and of itself is a whole you know story and experience. But flash forward to today, we have close to 50 locations in development. We're planning on scaling nationwide and doing so 
just by finding great people, you know, who want to create this great experience and bring it to their community. Yeah, no, that's great. And I mean, those are some big change, like big decision changes. But to your point, like starting with the notion that we want this to be a scaled business of 300 to 500 unit in operation, you have to apply a different mindset to it to get there, both from a you know, how do we standardize the experience to your point, like number 485 or whatever has to be the same as number one. And just the scale of that, I mean, that's a massive group. And and franchising, to your point, I think creates more ownership, more localized uh, engagement, maybe is the best way to describe it from the owners and franchise franchisees. But also, I mean, it, it has to help with the growth capital needed as well. If you're you're sharing, sharing in that, that, that need. Yeah. And, you know, squeeze was really my first true entrepreneurial venture. And I always say it was overwhelming and exhausting and it still is, um, but it's mostly liberating. And I really loved the idea of creating a business that would create that same experience for other people. You know, I mean, franchising is a great opportunity. I always say it's like a business in a box. It's being able to be your own boss and your own entrepreneur, but with a safety net below you, you know, not only do you have everything that we've put in place to support you from the franchisor level, but you also have a ton of other entrepreneurs around the country doing the exact same thing and getting to learn from them and have that community. I mean, you know, I started something from scratch with a few, with a few, you know, with a team around me with co-founders for sure. But like the idea of being able to do that and then leaning on people who were six months ahead of me or two years ahead of me or having someone right alongside me doing it. I mean, that's really powerful. And I think that's a lot of what stops people from starting something themselves to begin with is it is overwhelming and it's hard to do it alone. And, you know, franchising offers the ability to do it together, which is awesome. No, absolutely. How do you just generally think about scaling a business? Like what goes through your mind? I think the most important thing in scaling a business is just systems, processes, and documentation. You know, the ability to really be clear about what needs to happen when and, you know, how you find that information. So, you know, our operations manual is 475 pages long. I do not take credit for that. I have an amazing operations team who who went into the nitty gritty of that, but it, but it is a good <laughs> reference point as to what is really needed to make sure that, again, you know, an operator in Oklahoma can be just as successful as we were in in Los Angeles. So it's, you know, learning management systems, it's really clear KPIs, it's understanding the roles and responsibilities between people that you have in the organization and uh, and just documenting it and, and being really clear about how to go about replicating. And, and I suppose I should mention too, tr- training. I mean, training is such a vital part of making sure that everything we have on paper is actually translatable and, you know, digestible. And so we have quite a bit of training built into our overall program as well. Right. Well, and it seems like it's a nice, if I just think about the systems that you have, you've got the app and the website experience that kind of um, helps to make the in-customer experience very fluid. And that's a really nice thing to like not have to train, right? <laughs> like, uh, and, and so that codifies the experience and the front end, I guess, for what you're trying to drive and deliver. And so then it's like probably largely uh, a training and component about how how you behave when you're in the in the facility in the four walls of the building and having great massage therapists. Correct. Yep. Exactly. Just a focus on guest experience, how we make people feel. Yeah. It's a really nice model because it feels like you you start you've 
designed out some of the potential failure points, if that makes sense. 100%. I mean, one other point to that is we are a primarily membership-based business and we don't have any sales documentation. We don't have a sales team. We don't have, you know, the follow on kind of hard sell at the end because it is all built into our technology platform. So to your point, the it's a nice guest experience because you're not feeling like you're being pressured to make a decision, but it's also very clear when you're going through our app, the benefits of choosing a membership of which we also don't require a long-term commitment. It's month to month. So we've tried to just eliminate any barrier to entry um, and then also it's really great for the team to, you know, to your point, it's like they get to focus on just creating a really great experience and not have to feel that discomfort that often comes with upselling, which I should also mention, you know, one of the other things that we decided was to not upcharge for things like deep tissue, aromatherapy, heat therapy, percussion therapy. It's all included in our pricing. And that went directly to the insight that massage therapists in particular are not salespeople. They don't want to be pushing these products and or these additional things on people just, you know, so that the company could get an extra $10. Um, and so it's, it's really been a win-win across the board and, uh, you know, in many facets of the structure of, of how we've designed Squeeze. No, it's a very neat concept, I must say. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we are on a marketing show as we Typically talk about marketing. You've been a head of marketing or a marketing executive um, and worked with many. Now you're CEO and many marketers hope one day to become a CEO. But also I'm curious now that you've kind of ascended to that level, like how do you think about the role of marketing in your business and like where are your focus and areas of priority, et cetera, um, as you think about what marketing should be doing? So I think the two biggest roles that marketing plays for an organization is, well, and in the, in the customer experience and, and journey is, you know, is the brand providing me value and is it making me feel something? I think that if a company and a brand can do that well, the rest kind of falls into place. So clearly at Dry Bar and Squeeze, branding is a huge, huge piece of our business. Everything that you see, touch and feel feels like Dry Bar or feels like Squeeze. And we were methodical and again, how we wanted to make people feel. And, you know, at Squeeze, our brand color is, well, we call it squeeze blue, <laughs> but it's a, you know, it's a bright blue color, which is very drastically different than everything else in the industry. And that's because we wanted people to feel the way that you should feel after a massage, which is lighter and brighter and happier and really, really have that fresh approach. So branding is clearly like a massive piece in how you make people feel, but you also need to add value. And interestingly enough, I always say this to our operating partners in the last step of the discovery process when we're, you know, getting to know each other and determining if it's the right step. I, I joke kind of tongue in cheek that when I was head of marketing at Drybar, I, I tried to work myself out of a job. And clearly I loved my job. I loved the brand. It wasn't that I wanted to leave, but more so that I think that great marketing comes from a great experience whereby the customer is actually your biggest 
marketing channel and the brand isn't having to push a message one way or the other. So ultimately to me, word of mouth, particularly in an experiential company is the best form of marketing. And I think that everything that we're doing, even the copy that we're writing in our emails should be with the intent of someone saying, oh my gosh, I got the cutest email from Squeeze today. Or, and you know, and that's because it makes you feel something. And that, you know, immediately ingratiates people to your brand and, you know, ultimately creates loyalty. So yeah, I think that, uh, you know, creating value and making people feel something are the two core aspects of a great brand and strong marketing. No, I, I, well, I love that concept of, you know, providing value and making people feel something. Um, cause how many times do you experience a product or a service and yeah, maybe it was a good value, but it was just a thing. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Nothing special. Nothing special. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and people have so many choices today. I mean, that's the thing, even, even value-driven brands. I mean, you still have to stand out in order for people to choose you, number one, but mostly, you know, keep choosing you, ultimately stay with you. So I think that, uh, it does require, it just requires a level of creativity and like thinking outside the box that I, that I just don't think a lot of people do. (laughs) That makes sense. Well, you are CEO. You are also a woman. How do you think about fostering the right culture and environment to grow and succeed in in your business or, or businesses you've worked in in the past? Yeah, it's funny. I was actually thinking about this the other day, how I can kind of see the progression in my career as just embracing my femininity the more I the more I grow. When I was really young in my career, I was super tough. It's like I was no bullshit. I showed up to meetings with just this like bravado almost and I felt like I needed to and I lived a little bit, you know, in a male dominated industry early on in my career, but I was, I didn't really let my, I had no emotion, you know, it was very, well, I guess I did have an emotion, but it was certainly like very tough. And over time, what I've realized is that's really not who I am. You know, I, I I said earlier, like, I really love people and I believe in people. I love championing people. Um, I, I should say I was always very supportive of my team, you know, in my career, but I've just leaned in more to the things that make me, me. And I think that, you know, I think that's come through a lot in squeeze, probably different. It's funny, Michael and Allie, you know, said this early on, like, wow, like you're, you're a little softer, like in this, you know, in this role than you have been in the past. And it was kind of like, yeah, because, you know, I think at the end of the day, if we show up more human as leaders and we're more vulnerable, and we also really demonstrate that we care about people, you know, people, people feel that and that actually matters and that makes a big difference. So, so much of how I think my leadership style has evolved over time is, is really truly, you know, more to my desire to impact people for, for the better, you know, and, you know, I think that requires just like a level of humanity and vulnerability that I didn't have early on in my career. And I'm grateful to kind of have made this you know, evolution to some degree, because I can tell, I can see how it impacts my team and our employees and then how they show up for each other and how they treat our guests, you know? And, and as I mentioned earlier, so much of our focus and intention at Squeeze has been around creating a great culture, putting things into place where people feel recognized and creating experiences where they get to build 
community and connection amongst each other. And so I think that I've just leaned in more to people matter the most. And so it's like, how can we really make sure people feel valued and cared for here? Because at the end of the day, again, I guess circling back to like the top of this conversation, it's like, what, what really matters? Like, why are we, why are, what are we doing with our time? And why are we here if we're not making a positive impact on people and really making sure that we're doing everything we can to make our experiences stand out. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I was thinking about that the other day and I, and you know, it's just, it'll be interesting, I guess, 10 years from now, how I think about, you know, that question and my own growth and evolution. But, you know, I certainly think where I'm at now is the right place for what we're trying to build at Squeeze. No, it's good. And I'm really happy to hear you use the word vulnerability, you know, because I think many times, even on this show, right, we talk a lot about marketing success and the success of the businesses they're having and kind of forget them. I think the thing that makes us trustworthy <laughs> uh, in many cases is our vulnerability, our little bit softer side. And genders, I think, I think it's just the natural human experience is to be helpful. And as you see somebody that may have a little bit of vulnerability or is expressing some vulnerability, the natural inclination, and I think it's just hardwired into our bodies and brains, is to lean in and say, how can I help? Or what can I do to help this person? Um, whether you're saying it out loud to them or whether you're just thinking it yourself. And so there is this, I think it's just the human condition <laughs> that desires it to some degree. It's kind of an interesting dynamic. Well, but to that point, it's often not brought into the workplace or at least historically or traditionally it hasn't been. You know, I think there's a lot of great disruption happening across the board in many ways, but traditionally that hasn't really been the case. And I think if more people, you know, men or women showed up that way, there would be transformation that happens across the board in companies. And I think that employees would show up with more passion and more proactivity and all the things if they felt seen as human beings and individuals, not just, you know, kind of contributors to an organization. So when you get a chance to start something from, from scratch and put a little bit of your own personal touch, you, you know, you get to do that. So I know it's easier set at the role that I'm playing now than, than maybe, you know, as a mid-level manager in an organization. But I feel like that still shouldn't stop you from trying to at least individually show up that way. You know, at the end of the day, change is made first with ourselves. So yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, we've been learning about you throughout this entire <laughs> interview. Normally we're talking much more about business and, and we have talked about business too, but my favorite question to ask everyone that comes on the show, and we may have already heard the answer. So if that, if we have, that's okay. Is what experience of your past defines and makes up who you are today? Oh, such a good question. I would say, so I was a competitive swimmer growing up and did decently well, but my high school didn't have a swim team. And so I had to make a decision early on whether I wanted to stay competitively swimming and go to a different high school where I knew no one or stay in my hometown high school, go to go to school with all of my friends. And I chose my local high school. And it's funny how I look back at that decision and I realize it was really one of the first decisions that I made where I chose people, where I chose connection over, you know, achievement even though I am a very achievement-oriented and driven person. But what that experience required of me was I had to find a different sport. You know, I had to find something else to be active in. And so I picked up a basketball for the first time at 14 years old when, you know, all of my peers had been playing since they were like six or seven. And I was really terrible 
level, but I was super committed to being a part of this team and learning this sport and just trying my best. And I learned a lot of really hard lessons throughout those years because again, I kind of came off of being successful in a different sport to being probably the least talented. But I ultimately became captain of the basketball team. And I think what that really taught me, again, it's like you don't know it at the time, but I can look back and I realize like perseverance and grit and tenacity and also figuring out your role. Like I realized that even though I wasn't the best I would certainly, you know, could barely even dribble by the time I was a senior, but, and I could maybe, you know, I had one corner shot that was decent and everything else I, I wasn't great at, but I was super, I was very encouraging to the team, right? I like found ways to motivate and I still hustled really hard at practice to make sure that everyone else was leveling up. And, and I think when I look at myself now, I mean, that really is the role of a CEO. Your job is to find the best people and put them in the positions where they are the most effective and to encourage them to to keep leveling up right and and so it's just interesting to look back at that experience and realize how equitable my current role is because I am certainly not the smartest not the most talented uh, you know in my company I've hired really great wonderful brilliant people but just learning that that we all do play a really vital role and a super important part in anything that you are doing and kind of just embracing yourself I would say you know I think that that probably that experience was a uh, more, more um, impactful than I probably ever knew. <laughs> it doesn't seem like you're afraid of putting yourself in uncomfortable places. <laughs> yes, you're, I guess that's true. I wasn't afraid to fail regardless, right, but still, right. but still it takes so much to be like, oh man, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> yes, no, definitely. And definitely at a formidable age as like teenager. Yeah, definitely have to push through. Well, what advice would you give your younger self if you're starting this journey all over again? I would tell my younger self to go to the happy hours and the networking events. I was one of those people who was like in the office at 7 a.m. and I prided myself in being one of the last to close out. And I think clearly that served me well to a degree. But man, if I have learned nothing else over the past, I would say probably eight years, it is, I mean, your network is your net worth, right? I mean, who you know matters so much more than, you know, than, than I guess being the first in and first out. It really does. I think that, you know, making sure that you're cultivating the right relationships with people who five years down the line, you can call because you've both grown in your career and you can learn from each other. I mean, it's just, networking and your your professional connections are massive and i'm grateful that i you know kind of eventually got there but i wish i had known that so much earlier in my career yeah 100% agree i learned that lesson as well kind of like 4 or 5 years into my career when i went back to business school and uh and I, there was a great speaker that came and talked to us about it who writ, wrote a book and uh Anyway, it, yeah, it totally changed my trajectory. Just thinking about cultivating those relationships and the connections and, you know, with no no intent to transact, more to learn and to just grow from those conversations. Eventually, they become extremely helpful <laughs> when you need them, but you have to build them first. Correct. Exactly. Yes. Taking the time to just build the relationships and also be valuable yourself too. I think that's a, one of the other cool things now is like, you know, people being like, hey, can I pick your brain? And, and it's so neat to be able to, you know, to help people. So yes, spend more time building relationships. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I, since we are talking, we are talking to marketers. Their marketers are listening to our conversation. What one topic do you think marketers need to be learning more about, or maybe it's something you're trying to learn more about yourself? It's an interesting question, and I think I'll. I think I will just always go back to the basics of I people's personal motivations. You know, I think that it's so important to understand why your customers are choosing you, what they want more of, what they want less of. You know, I think we rely a lot on algorithms today to fire off different messages, but I think if you really want to create a truly impactful experience, you've got to you've got to go several steps further and really engaging in a two-way dialogue with people and actually asking and surveying, you know, what it is they like, don't like, et cetera, you know, why they consider other competitors, et cetera. And really taking those insights and applying them across every facet of your marketing channels. I'm not quite sure that that is being done to the degree that it should be. You know, the personalization factor today is so important and it's talked about a lot again on the digital side, but it's like the physical experience and how people are engaging with your brand matters just as much. So just make sure that you're being hyper aware of leaning into all of the data that you have to make those experiences just as personalized and just as valuable. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You've curated and built an amazing brand like say Drybar, you're working on Squeeze and a, a couple others. Are there brands or companies that you, or causes that you follow or you think other people should be taking notice of? Well, actually, one thing that we haven't talked about at Squeeze, you know, we talk about Squeeze as a feel-good company and I also really wanted to have a philanthropic and kind of a do a do good component to the brand as well. Um, and so we partnered early on with an organization. So I think I'll talk about this organization just because they're, they're amazing. And I do think that it's probably another important component from a marketing standpoint is like your, what are you doing beyond just the product and service that you're selling? So in any case, Canine Companions is the largest provider of service dogs to adults, children, and veterans with disabilities. For every membership that we sell at Squeeze, we're helping to provide a day of canine support to a person with a disability. And they really truly are such an incredible organization. I got a chance to go to their headquarters up in Santa Rosa back in 20, oh gosh, 2019, 2018 at this point. And, you know, these dogs learn 40 different commands. They put on this beautiful graduation ceremony whereby the people who raise the puppies and socialize them get to come back and do this like handoff to the eventual adult partner for for the dogs. And it's really just such an incredible organization. And it's funny, I didn't know that they existed. I just, we knew that we wanted to have some type of, again, kind of, you know, philanthropic component and I Google and we were like, well, what, what, what resonates with people? And it was like, well, puppies and babies, you can kind of never go wrong with puppies and babies, but it's like, okay, how does massage and dogs really go together? And we kind of went back to, well, at the end of the day, you know, massage provides you the ability to kind of go out and be your best self. Like it, it empowers you, right? It, it makes your, your body kind of in the best shape that it, that it could be in. And service dogs provide that same level of like confidence and support and empowerment to their human partner. And and so I Googled, 
you know, service dog companies had no idea, research canine companions. They looked very credible. Cold called, literally cold called. And this is before we didn't have a website. We had nothing. I was like, do you know dry bar? Like I'll start there because that's probably the most credible thing I'm going to about, you know, about to tell you this other thing. And what's fascinating is after I explained squeeze, the woman on the phone goes, you're not going to believe this. But one of the things that the dogs are trained to do when caring for their human counterparts is if, uh, you know, someone is having a seizure or, you know, some type of kind of just physical anxious moment, the dogs are actually trained to crawl on top of them and like give them a little squeeze. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, literally it's like, you know, the two, our two worlds collided beautifully at that point. So in any case, we partner with that organization. They're incredible. Um, I also think from a marketing standpoint, it's just important to have your brand stand for things that are bigger than what you are selling. And I can tell you that it is such a beautiful thing for the team to know every day that they're coming in, not only making people feel good, but contributing to society. And same for our guests, you know, they get to choose to spend their dollars at a place where they know, you know, good is doing good is being done, you know, beyond just what they get to experience. Well, I am a total dog person. So like <laughs> you, 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 yes, I am. Who isn't at the end of the day? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I've interacted with, well, seen other service dog type organizations as well. And, and the work that they do is amazing. Amazing. Especially ones that I've seen it a lot of times are with our veteran community and, and the, the, the anxious, uh, you know, anxiety component of that and, and seeing the dog react. And to your point, like whether it's a squeeze or a touch or their contact, they know how to like, you know, put that person back at ease and, uh, or at least get them aware of what's going on with their body that they may not, may not actually notice right at the moment. So yeah, they're fantastic. Dogs are awesome. So <laughs> last question for you. Uh, what do you think is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? Oh, that's a big question. Um, and I feel like it's, you know, probably somewhat dependent on the industry that you're in and whatnot, but I'll maybe kind of in my fashion that I've been talking about our whole conversation, like pull it up a little bit. There's, um, there's a great Seth Godin quote that I love. And if you don't, if you haven't read all of Seth Godin's books, please go read them, subscribe to his daily email. He is a brilliant marketer. Talk about, you know, marketing. Have you interviewed him by chance? Has he been I, on have, show? I have. Ah, I have. I love him yeah, so yeah. much. Yes, so much. He's great. But he has this quote that says, people don't buy products and services. People buy stories, experience, and magic. and uh, Or stories, relations, and magic. Sorry. So people don't buy goods and services. People buy stories, relations, and magic. And so I think that the biggest opportunity is to create more magic. I really do. I think that is ultimately how great brands are built and why people you know, go back and keep buying products and or services. It's got to be a little bit of that magic. <laughs> I love it. And that's a great way to end the show. Everyone needs to go create a little more magic in the world. So Brittany, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been fantastic. Thank you for having me. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to marketing today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com 
there you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 